Welcome, everybody, at another episode of the Wrestling vs. the World podcast. If you are enjoying your day, sweet. If not, what the hell ever? So, finally, a WrestleMania review here for the podcast. And unfortunately, I had chosen one that I put on my list last year as one of the top five worst WrestleManias of all time. Which one am I talking about? WrestleMania 16. Yes, I'm going to refer to it as 16, not WrestleMania 2000, because when I think WrestleMania 2000, I think more of the video game. And plus, this was the 16th ever WrestleMania, so I'm calling it WrestleMania 16 for this review. So, let's get into this mess of a show. So, the show starts off, Lillian Garcia singing the Star Spangled Banner American National Anthem. I feel she did a better job for the 9-11 tribute show, but so fantastic performance. I mean, Lillian Garcia's got a fantastic singing voice. So, the first match... Right off the bat, it's something that irks me, and that is when you have an impromptu match thrown on the biggest show of the year. I'm not saying it's a like something you can't do, but it doesn't feel right. Because the first match was The Godfather and D'Lo Brown bringing Sung to the Ring by Ice-T against the big boss man and Bull Buchanan. Now, why do I say this was impromptu? Well, because there was absolutely no build to this match. It just happened. So The Godfather and D'Lo... Get some nice tag team offense. They get a scoop slam, splash, leg drop combo to Bull Buchanan. Bull was a bit more like of a standout guy in just this performance compared to everybody else, which is saying something because Bull Buchanan did not have much experience for this match. He even had a pretty sweet springboard clothesline rebounding off the top rope by when he got back to deal with Brown. Like if you remember when Sh- when Shelton Benjamin did that springboard corkscrew like forearm to that he did in the match against Shawn Michaels on Raw in 2005. It was kind of like that same setup with the clothesline, which actually looked nice. But there's some sloppy moments and everything like that once in a while. Godfather even stopped Bull Buchanan from flying off the top rope by shaking the ropes, although he was doing it before Bull was even on the top rope. But shake, shake, shake. D'Lo got some separation by getting Frankenstein before tagging the Godfather. Whole train on Bulldog, or sorry, the big boss man. Buchanan stopped the lowdown by D'Lo, and D'Lo got in the ring, landing on his feet. Bossman got his Bossman slam and got it. And we also saw a top rope leg drop right afterwards by Bull. Both moves done on D'Lo. And Bossman and Bull Buchanan won the tag match. This match, like I said, it had some iffy moments and a lot of time just was spent keeping D'Lo isolated. It didn't feel like there was much time even given for the Godfather, who was the most over guy in the match. Because the crowd was popping for everybody, going along with his catchphrase at the beginning of the show and everything like that. It was just a waste of time, hands down. Because like I said, there wasn't even a match graphic shown for this because it was just thrown together because that was a theme you saw for something that you would see throughout the show. A lot of people being put on this one show overall. Now, this next match is where that was actually done right. Match number two, the Hardcore Battle Royal for the Hardcore title. Crash Holly defending the championship against Bradshaw, Farouk, Funaki, Hardcore Holly, Joey Abs, Mosh, Pete Gas, Ronnie, Takamich Noku, Taz, Thrasher, and Viscera. The rules of the match are there's a 15 minute time limit. Title can change hands any time, any number of times throughout the entire match. All falls will recognize a new champion. Whoever gets the final decision at the end of the time limit will determine the final champion of the match. And I think they kind of established a rule that the only way you can become champion is if you pin the active champion. So you can't pin some other random person in the match and be declared champion because we would see this a lot. So. It felt like a bit more of a free-for-all compared to what we see with the championship scramble in years later. So the build to this match was that Crash Hollywood, he was hardcore champion, introduced the 24-7 rule, which means the title is always on the line 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, as long as a referee is present. 
This match was put together because they were having so many matches and segments where Crash was just getting chased everywhere. Hotels, airports, fun play areas, and massage parlors, so on and so forth, by so many people wanting his title. So, people that were going for this title were put into this match. So, this match was actually a pretty big car crash overall action. Taz got the first fall within the 30, first 30 seconds by getting a capture suplex into a pin on Crash. You saw Viscera slam Taz into the ring post and the power slam him on the floor for the second fall. It would take several minutes just for the next fall of the match to happen. Everybody tried piling on Viscera because, of course, he was the biggest man in the match. Maj at one point jumped on Viscera's back with a sleeper hold, but then Viscera no sold by just taking the cookie she had in his hand and just swung it back, boom, right in the face. The APA throw Viscera off the top rope, which I'm surprised did not break the ring. Farouk ended up taking a 2x4, a standard one, not a different one we would see later on in the night, to break across Viscera's back. And Bradshaw gets a flying shoulder block off the top rope, and you had like three men piling on for a pin on Viscera. Funaki, Takamichinoku, and I believe Mosh? Like, I think he was the one wearing orange. Yeah, Funagi was credited for the fall, despite the fact that there were three men pinning Viscera at the same time. Then everybody starts hightailing it to the back. Everything starts getting used as a weapon. Funaki ended up getting whipped into a pile of the steel barricades by Rodney, and he got the pin. Joey Abs immediately retaliated with a government suplex on Rodney, got the pin there. Joey Abs ended up whipping uh, Rodney into the steel garage door and by, uh, sorry, by Thrasher, and then got a clothesline afterwards. We've seen that spot where that garage mesh door, whatever you want to call it, is laying there because you got vehicles going through there. He got smashed into there, clothesline, boom, Thrasher is the new champion. Action gets brought back into the IOA. Everybody's started doing more action. P-Cats grabs a fire extinguisher and uses it on Thrasher to get the pin on him. Taz gets a T-bone suplex to P-Cats on the floor and gets that pin. Crash grabs the cookie sheet. He starts smashing it on Taz, pins him in the ring, but then Taz no-sells it by getting back up. Taz mission on Crash. Harker Holly get, has a uh, candy jar. Slides in the ring, smashes it in both Taz and Crash Holly's faces, and gets the final pin to a botched decision, which makes Harko Holly the hardcore champion. The reason this was botched was because the timer was just supposed to run out as the pinfall was being counted in order for Crash to luckily get away with the championship. But unfortunately, Tim White was given a bad countdown timing in his earpiece. That messed up the finish, so Harko Holly became champion. This overall match, you saw 10 title changes and all this, with Taz being the only man out of the winners of this match to win the belt twice in the match. I mean, I know the APA, neither man of the APA got the pin in the match, I believe Mosh didn't either, but Taz became a two-time hardcore champion in this match time limit alone, and with that botch, they actually took the title off Harker Holly, put it back and crashed the next night on Raw. But overall, this was a fun match, even though the finish was botched, like I said, for the reason. Pecas was very bloody, you saw him get hit in the head with the, one of those uh, square fans, like you all know what I'm talking about, like right in the face, and he just bled all over the place afterwards. And a lot of, majority of the match you kept seeing with people that weren't trying to get the pin were just smashing each other over the head with weapons, like rackets and cookie sheets and trash can lids and all that, and it felt excessive, but this match worked for what it was. It was fine. I mean, I'm not going to hold it against it. So after this, you saw footage showing WWF Access prior to WrestleMania, signings and all that. And you even saw Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold, and The Undertaker doing signings there. Shawn Michaels, he hadn't been appearing a whole lot by this point in the company. Stone Cold, he was still recovering from neck surgery. And The Undertaker, if he hadn't been injured at the Royal Rumble, he would have been back around this time. And he was kind of sporting the attire you would get used to seeing him wearing as the American Badass with a bandana and the 
the denim jacket with the no sleeves and all that. So it was nice to see them at the show. Well, after this, now, Al Snow and Steve Blackman are having a talk in the bathroom because Snow, Al Snow has got somebody in the bathroom stall that he doesn't want Steve Blackman to see. So it's like, oh, hold on, like, I got a surprise for you, don't worry, just get out of here. And of course, the person in the stall is passing gas and all that shit. Well, at least match number three, Head Cheese, Steve Blackman and Al Snow versus TNA, Tess and Albert. Another match that was just thrown together because there was no build. So... The faces are in the ring, and Al Snow brings out their mascot, Cheese McCheeserton, or whatever his name is. It was just a guy in a square or a triangular piece of cheese being like, Yeah, slap my ass, and yeah, you guys be happy that I'm here. And right off the bat, the only thing you remember to start this match is that JR's headset starts malfunctioning, which I think, first time we've seen that since, I think, In Your House Buried Alive. So, like, it takes a couple minutes for that to get set, so Waller's on his commentary on, the own, on his own. Tess and Blackman are training fast-paced offense, which I liked. I wish we could have seen more offense between these two in matches. Al Snow gets a slingshot, leg drops to the back of Albert's head after he got tripped up with a dropped toehold. But then as soon as Al Snow gets up, he gets a big boot right to the face. Tina also get a double-team elevated powerbomb to Al Snow. They try pinning him, even though, in reality, Al Snow wasn't even the legal man in the ring for this point. They... Both the uh, baby faces try getting tag team maneuvers on Tess to wear him out with like back prop or back break or leg drop combo. Albert starts getting attacking Snow. We see like strong offense with like press slams and choke slam power bombs and all that shit. But at the end, Tess and Albert win after a military press slam. By Albert gets done on Blackman and then Tess immediately gets a top rope bubble drop to get the win. After the match, Head Cheese decides to beat up their mascot. Okay, well <laughs> this was a complete waste. I mean, overall, this match just did not work. The crowd did not care one bit. Never felt like the match even got out of first gear. I mean, this was like seven minutes and it was just a waste of time. And Head Cheese wouldn't even be together for that long. Like, they would break up shortly thereafter, just like D'Lo and Godfather. And I forgot to mention, D'Lo and Godfather broke up a couple weeks after, like, on the April 20th, 2000 episode of SmackDown. And after, like, when D'Lo attacked the Godfather after they lost, after they lost a tag match to TNA. And then D'Lo started doing the tag team stuff lowdown and the Godfather went to the rights to censor shit. So, I mean, Head Cheese was broken up shortly after this way, after this match, too. Backstage, the cat is naked in her little dressing room talking to Mae Young. And we get those creative moments to try to cover up the fact that the cat is naked. Like, cell phone covering up her breast when she's getting a call. A t-shirt to cover up her pussy. Water bottles to cover up her breast skin. The kind of creative censorship there. Then we get to the big match after the, this whole segment. Match number four, the Dudley Boys. Defending the Tag Team Championship against challengers Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian in the Triangle Ladder Match. So, the whole build to this was that the tag division kind of got a rejuvenation after the Hardys, at the time known as the New Brood, faced against Edge and Christian in the tag team ladder match and No Mercy, and the Dudley Boys came in shortly before this, like before Unforgiven and everything. Hardy Boys were feuding with the Dudley Boys, got a tag team tables match victory against them at the Royal Rumble. The Dudley Boys would also later on win the tag team titles from the New Age Outlaws at No Way Out. Well, that exact same night in No Way Out, Terry Reynolds would turn on the Hardy Boys and cost them their tag team victory against match, sorry, against Edge and Christian, which meant Edge and Christian with that tag team match victory became rightful number one contenders to the tag titles. But then continued turmoil between all three teams started ensuing between Dudley Boys, Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, and that would lead to this legendary encounter. So, I mean, this match was just a car wreck just from the get-go. Jeff would get a nice whisper in the wind early in the match to Bubba Ray, but then Bubba Ray would retaliate right afterwards with a bubble bomb. 
poetry motion by the Hardy Boys to Bubba, who was behind in the corner behind a ladder. And Jeff even lays out Bubba on a ladder, get, tries to go for 450 splash, which I think was only like the second time I can easily recall Jeff Hardy doing this. I know he did it at Survivor Series 99, but he went for the 450 splash here. Bubba got out of the way. Boom, Jeff hits a ladder. Nasty landing. Bubba does that whole thing where he puts a ladder around his head, starts spinning around like a helicopter to knock out all of his opponents, but they start coming back with offense. Matt and Bubba go out to the outside. They got a ladder set up in the ring. Christian climbs the ladder, jumps off, and hits a crossbody to Bubba Ray and Matt on the outside, which if you go on WrestleMania 16's like Wicked page, that's where you see that image of Christian going flying. Jeff gets up the ladder to try to retrieve the bells, but Edge jumps off the top rope and spears Jeff Hardy off the ladder. I mean, I know we also saw him do it to Jericho in the TLC match on SmackDown a year later, but still great. You get three match ladders set up and all that stuff. Christian is trying to climb a center ladder. Bubba Ray climbs up his own ladder and stops Christian from retrieving the belts and drops him with the Bubba Cutter. Not the 3D, because Diva is not involved. It's the Bubba Cutter. Get that right. Some more action still going on. They're messing with the ladders. Edge and Christian even get a double suplex to Devon off the ladder, which crowd start chanting holy shit for Everybody is on top of the ladders. They're brawling and all that stuff. But then as soon as all three ladders are set up, Christian and Jeff are on one ladder, and then everybody else are on the other two ladders. Christian and Jeff's ladder gets pushed over, and both Christian and Jeff go flying over the top rope and smash into the floor, which if you listen to the impact, it's pretty nasty, especially for Jeff, because that whole high-risk stuff is just horrifying to see. Christian gets smashed between two ladders as part of a sandwich, 3D edge, which everybody loved, and then... Get the tables, because we're going past the ladder stipulation at this point. One table gets set up to be a bridging platform between two ladders in the ring. You see two more tables set up in the ring and one over by the commentary team and all that shit. So Bubba's on the outside. He's got Matt Hardy while he's on the announce table. Devon's climbing up a ladder. Sets up Jeff on the ladder, or on the table. Devon goes flying off the ladder, but misses Jeff, who rolls out of the way and eats table. So Bubba Ray's pissed off. He's on the announce table, takes Matt Hardy, and power bombs him through the table that's right in front of him on the floor. Ugh, that should have just completely taken Matt out of the match. Jeff, as soon as he's up, he's running the barricade to try to attack Bubba, but Bubba, when they're in the aisleway, takes the ladder and just chucks it at Jeff in midair. Surprised he didn't break anything from that. Bubba grabs a larger ladder that they had there in the aisleway, sets it up there, brings the table up there. Sits it up there in the aisle. He's going to drive Jeff through the table. But Christian's got the ring bell. Smashes Bubba in the head twice with it. And then Jeff climbs the ladder. Massive swanton bomb off the ladder to Bubba Ray through the table. And Jeff, I think he said in commentary, or real commentaries at one point, he thought he broke his tailbone because of that landing. His, his back hits Bubba, but then his ass hits the floor. Ugh, that was painful. And then you finally get to the match conclusion. Devon gets taken out of the match with a twist of fate. So now it's only left with Matt Hardy, Christian, and Edge. Matt and Christian climb their own ladders to get on that table bridge. Edge climbs up from behind Matt, flips him off that ladder bridge, or table bridge, drops him into the only remaining table in the ring, and Edge and Christian retrieve the tag team titles to become the new tag team champions. Absolutely amazing match. One of those most iconic matches you can ever get that really gave that tag division the spotlight and shot in the arm it needed to really say, hey, the tag division is something you should pay attention to now. Like I said, that tag ladder match you saw No Mercy gave that spotlight to say, hey, there's something growing here, but this this ladder match changed the tag division for good. Because you just saw Carnage from the opening bell, amazing spots all around, no wasted moments, five-star classic, no doubt about it. And this would be the precursor to what you saw for the TLC match later on at 
SummerSlam, even though there weren't chairs involved in this match, but the introduction of tables really got the gears going. Now backstage, McFoley's getting interviewed, saying that this is the biggest year in the WWF, which you can say every year. Oh, it's a new year. It's the biggest year for the company. And the main event is going to be one of the biggest one of all time. He hopes that people will talk about it for the next 10 years. Well, Mick, ugh, people still talk about it to this day, but not in the most finest way. Now match number five. Oh, God. The Cat versus Terry Reynolds in a cat fight with Fabulous Mula in Terry's corner, Mae Young in the Cat's corner, and Val Venus as the special guest referee. Rules are simple. First woman to be ejected from the ring to the outside will lose the match. Similar to that sumo match you saw between Big Show and Akibono at WrestleMania 21, but there are still ring ropes here. So the whole build, the Cat and Terry had been behaving like divas, and they would still continue to feud throughout the year but they were, like, having problems backstage with each other. We also saw in the build to this through GTV footage that both women tried to sexually persuade Val Venus to call the match in their favor, meet up in his hotel room, they are fucking him, and Val even rejects Mae Young's proposition for sex in his hotel room, like, Mae, we're not gonna have sex, get out of here! Like, just throw her out. So Val, he's cutting his promo to get the crowd hyped up. Hello, ladies. He's got his referee towel on and he's got his i am cocked shirt that looks like jizz that he's wearing it, I, I don't get why they made that shirt everybody gets on aj's one shirt that he had back then looks like sploosh but this is one of the worst shirts i've ever seen oh my god it looked bad so val is stopping a cat scratching cat fight going on between terry and that but between terry and the cat i can't stop thinking about that shirt it's so nasty he picks up Terry, who kisses Val before them being dropped. The cat's like, oh wait, I can do that too. Kisses Val. May tries stripping to distract Val during this match. And then Terry gets thrown out of the ring, despite the fact that May pretty much stopped her own woman from winning the match. But then Mula throws Terry back in the ring without Val seeing it. So the match is still going on. May throws Mula into the ring for another distraction. And May starts kissing Val. And Val's just like, oh, this is nasty. Terry gets thrown out again behind Val's back. Val does not see it, so... Does not count. Mula throws Terry back in the ring and pulls the cat out. Finally, by that point, May Young is done kissing Val. Val sees Terry alone in the ring. In the ring. He's like, okay, that's it. Boom. Calls for the bell. And post-match, May does the Bronco Buster to Mula. And the cat gets a bit of retribution by ripping away Terry's pants. Thoughts? Why did this match happen? This match can go straight into the dumpster that came straight out of Dudville. Screw this match. Waste of time. Utter disappointment that the only singles match you saw in the show was the worst match. Now, backstage again. Eddie, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko of the Radicals are backstage, and Eddie's checking his reflection in Malenko's late heavyweight championship. Eddie vows to lay all of his Latino heat tonight on China, which China's watching from her own TV in the locker room, and she looks absolutely repulsed. So now we get the sixth match of the night. The Radicals, Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko go in a six-person intergender tag match against China and two cool zone Grandmaster Sexy and Sky Juhati. The whole build being that after Eddie recovered from his legitimate elbow injury, he started pursuing China and declares that she couldn't gonna make sure she doesn't resist his Latino heat. And for those who don't know the backstory, Eddie got inspired for the Latino heat phrase because of the whole phrase that was said talking about Guatemalan heat from the movie The Birdcage. Because they had a butler there who says, like, oh, people cannot withstand my Guatemalan heat. And he said in a shoot interview that that's what it influenced his Latino heat phrase. I mean, that's a good movie to influence by. And a thing you see with all four members of the Radicals, including Ben Wall later on, they're all wearing a matching purple and black attires. But with these three men in the match, they match, they look like the ghastly line of ghastly Hawker and Gengar. 
based on their choice there for attires. So things are starting off fast between Scotty and Eddie. Eddie gets taken out with a monkey flip and told the world backbreaker. China gets tagged in, but then Eddie quickly on his knees scurries away and tags in Malenko. He doesn't want part of Mamacita just yet. Sex Grandmaster Sexay is getting in the match. He tries to hip hop drop a bit later to Eddie Grill, but Perry Saturn throws him off and either st even starts sporting the do-rag that Grandmaster Sexay was wearing, which did not look right. Ugh. It looked as weird as that beret he wore in WCW. Eddie's pissing off Sex A in order to distract the referee, grabs China, who is on the apron, and throws her face version of the ring post from the apron. I mean, you don't do that to your mamacita, dude. So Eddie's even su gets suplexed by Sex A onto the floor. Perry Saturn and Dimalenko get laid out by both members of Too Cool. There goes, and then Scotty decides, hey, worm time, and gets that double chop onto both men in the ring. Saturn barely grazes Scotty Twatty by going off the top rope with that flying elbow drop. Eddie gets crotched on the top rope afterwards, trying to go for a fox splash, and then Sex A smashes, or sorry, Scotty smashes him with the suplex off the top. China comes in, she takes out Saturn and Malenko, who are trying to stop her from getting to Eddie, but she's just looking dominant. Hits back to back car wheel back elbows on both Saturn and Malenko, and then hits a double low blow on them, but then Eddie starts attacking her. Eddie tries to go for the power bomb. China reverses one to her own. As soon as Eddie gets up, testicular claw on Eddie, lifts him up into a military press slam, drops him, gets into a sleeper hold, and drops him into a slam kind of similar to what Jericho's WCW alternative finisher was, and gets the pin. So this match, it was fine. It was not announced ahead of time because I cannot find a graphic for this. It helped keep the Eddie and China storyline going. The crowd was, And the crowd was into this match ever since the very beginning, so it's passable. And they remember the next night, China aligned with Eddie. So the Latino he worked. Well, after this whole match is finally done, you get a little video package showing that there was a woman and her hus husband or boy from one of the two getting their luxurious treatment and arrival to WrestleMania by winning the all-day-long contest. Kind of nice there, although the woman probably shouldn't have been on screen smoking a cigarette as soon as she answered the door, especially when you had kids around. Well, then you have Shane McMahon and Bag Big Show backstage trying to hype up the main event for themselves, and Big Show declares that when it comes to The Rock, he will get the most electrifying man will get unplugged, Mick Foley will be retired for good, and Triple H will be game over. How many times have we heard that over the years? Well, now, before the next match, we get a bit of a replay showing Sunday Night Heat, where it was revealed that Mr. Bob Backlund was the man who put Kurt Angle in the match that we're about to see next. Kurt Angle got pissed off and locked Backlund into his own crossface chicken wing to end their alliance. So, unfortunately, that did not last more than, what, a month or two? So, kind of a shame there. Then, at least the match number seven, Kurt Angle, who's the reigning Eurocontinental Continental Champion, defending both belts against Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho in a two-fall triple threat match. Whoever gets the first fall of the match is Intercontinental Champion, and whoever gets the second fall will be the European Champion. So whole build was that Kurt Angle debuted at Survivor Series in terms of being an active in-ring competitor. It was on a bit of an undefeated streak until he got choked out by Taz at the Royal Rumble. After this, he would become European Champion on SmackDown by defeating Val Venus, and then would beat Chris Jericho in No Way Out, become Intercontinental Champion, and would be the final man to ever be recognized as a Eurocontinental Champion. Benoit was also going for the Intercontinental title along the same time that Jericho was trying to win it back, so this match would end up being made as a compromise, and Backlund was saying that he was doing this to show some tough love to Angle, and 
pretty much make him a fighting champion. So Jericho comes out. He's got the same kind of jacket that he wore when he made his debut several months back. He's going to guarantee that Kirk Angel and Mr. Roboto would be in a lot of pain after the match with all bumps and all that shit. So Benoit starts the match off hot. He's attacking Angle, who's still on the outside trying to get his belt off. Jericho tried to go for a triangle drop kick to Angle, who was on the apron, but Benoit slipped him up. So then Benoit gets on the apron along with Angle. They start brawling, and then Jericho gets a triangle drop kick to knock them both to the floor. So, kind of nice there. Jericho tries going up top to attack Angle, but then Benoit gets up and shoves him off the top rope to make Jericho bounce face first off the Spanish announce table. Took him out there for a little bit. Jericho gets back in the match. He tries a German suplex on Angle, but Angle traps him in the double wrist lock and then throws him into a belly-to-belly -belly suplex to almost knock him into the corner. Angle gets a cross-faced chicken wing on Jericho, so even though he ended that alliance, he's still trying to do this move. Benoit breaks it up with a drop kick and throws Kurt Angle to the outside into the front row. The crowd runs back in the ring, gets up top, flying headbutt to Jericho, and gets the pin to become Intercontinental Champion when the first fall of the match. Even though the match was not over, they played the Radicals music afterwards. Like, no, we still got another fall. Give it away. Give it a minute, motherfucker. So the match gets back to resuming the action because now this falls for the European Championship. Angle's up top. He tries to go for the moonsault. Jericho stops it. Then Jericho gets crossed on top rope. Benoit catches Jericho and drops him with a back superplex. Then Angle finally catches his bearings. Tries to go for the moonsault. Benoit avoids it. So then Angle smashes into the canvas because that's a move he can't hit that often. Jericho gets the walls of Jericho and Angle, but Benoit quickly breaks that up with a shot of his own. Jericho's going on offense. He gets a spinning wheel kick onto Benoit, knocks him to the outside. Jericho even gets a double powerbomb on Angle. And then Benoit slides back into the ring, gets a German suplex trifecta, with the third one with a bridge for a near fall. And Benoit even gets a dragon suplex on Kurt Angle, which they kind of mess up trying to count the pin because Angle's shoulders weren't on the ring canvas during the whole time. Which, and I wish we would see this move come back, like that full Nelson with a bridging suplex, dragon suplex. I miss that move. Jericho also wipes out the referee before Benoit puts him in the cripple crossface, and Jericho was tapping out, so referee did not see it. Jericho's up, gets walls Jericho on Benoit, and Angle breaks that up with the Intercontinental Championship belt to Jericho's face. Benoit goes up top. He's trying to go, he misses the flying headbutt on Angle, and then Jericho gets a line salt onto Benoit and pins Benoit to become European champion. So the match is finally over. I mean, this overall is a great hidden gem of a WrestleMania match. I kind of wondered how this match could have been if they didn't have this stipulation and waited about another year or two when Angle was really getting into his prime, like, and getting comfortable in the ring, because these three men were no slouches. You can imagine how much bigger a triple threat match would have been when Angle was more confident in the ring, because the following year, when he started pumping out these bangers of matches just left, right, and center. But this match was a like, great match. Probably like four out of five stars. And Angle was kept strong by not taking either decision in this match. So he had a case of still being strong, like not being beaten for his titles. Because the falls happened between both challengers. But it was kind of a shame that Jericho's run as European champion would end the following night on Raw. When China turned on Chris Jericho to align with Eddie and give Eddie the European championship. Go backstage. Michael Cole is interviewing Vince McMahon about if he'll play a factor in the main event. I mean, it's a McMahon in every corner. Vince states that by the end of the night, he'll make things right with everybody. Uh-oh, foreshadowing. Match number eight. Tag match. D-Generation X being represented by X-Pac and Road Dog, the only members remaining of that faction, against Rikishi and King. So this will build. Kane and X-Pac have been feuding ever since the fall of 99. They were 
friends and tag champions, and Xbox later turned on Kane to make him think he was part of DX when he wasn't, stole his girlfriend from him, Xbox at one point used a flamethrower in Kane's face, he eliminated him from the Royal Rumble match, and even pinned him in their no-holds-barred match at No Way Out. So then this match was finally set up and would be used to conclude the overall feud. I wasn't exactly sure why Rikishi was added, but it would make sense when the match happens. So before the match can even happen, Tori is getting Paul Bearer's face, and she backs away from Bear after she slapped him in the face, but he knows sells a slap. Then Kane goes to the outside, crowd pops when Kane gets his hand around Tori's throat, so they thought, oh finally this bitch is gonna get attacked. Well, then the offense starts getting a little bit quick pace. Road Dog eats a stink face pretty early on. Tori almost eats one, but then gets pulled out of the ring, and DX is like, no, we're leaving. We're not laying that big ass going Tori's face. Action gets brought back to the ring. X-Pac gets his own Bronco, Bunts, Bronco Buster on Rikishi. And Road Dog does his usual stick of offense, like the shake, rattle, and roll punches, flying forearm, and the wobbling knee drop to Rikishi. Rikishi starts no-selling offense by X-Pac, throws him up in the air with a pop-up cutter, which I believe is a throwback to the whole Samoan SWAT team tag team that you had back in the day. King gets tagged in. He's doing the whole hot tag offense. X-Pac gets yanked out of the ring to avoid a stink face by Rikishi when... Like when X-Pac is in the corner, and Paul Bearer takes Tori and throws her in the ring. Kane throws Tori into the corner, and then Tori finally eats the stink face. Tombstone on X-Pac, and this short match is over after four minutes. Holy shit. The post-match, you see Too Cool come back to the ring, Rikishi's in there, and you see the San Diego Chicken from the year prior, I believe, if memory serves me right. And Kane and the commentary team are completely convinced that Pete Rose is in this costume after what happened last year. So the dance routine goes off with chicken, everything goes alright. But then Kane tries going after the chicken, because he's like, Oh, I know this is Pete Rose. But then the real Pete Rose jumps in the ring with a baseball bat. Rikishi stops him from using it. Kane turns around, grabs chicken, Pete Rose, chokeslam in the ring, throws him in the corner. And Pete Rose, after also taking a crotch shot by Paul Bearer, Rikishi gives him the stink face. So this... It's nice to see that this Kane... X-Pac feud was finally over. He finally got his overall retribution against X-Pac and Tori. But this match just fell too short. And I guess Rikishi was just added to the match in order to help humiliate X-Pac and Tori after all the shit they had done to Kane. So I guess it makes sense to add Rikishi, but like just for the embarrassment factor and all that stuff. But it just felt like it could have just been something special between Kane and X-Pac to close that one-on-one -on -one feud. And it's just a case of extra people being thrown in. Well, now we're on to the main event, but before then, Kevin Kelly interviews The Rock backstage, and The Rock recaps all the hell he had gone through over the last year since the previous WrestleMania, which was also the last time he had been WWF champion at this point, and that this match is about nothing else other than who's going to walk out as the WWF champion. So now we get to the ninth and final match, Triple H, the WWF champion, defending the championship against Mick Foley, The Rock, and The Big Show in a fatal four-way elimination match for the WWF championship. No disqualification, and each fall can only happen by pinfall. So this build was just out of control. So Triple H had been dominating with Stephanie ever since it was revealed that they were in cahoots and on-screen married to get power away from Vince McMahon. And around that same time, The Rock won the Royal Rumble match, but Big Show provided video evidence from a different camera angle that shows that The Rock's feet did hit the floor first, so Big Show would get a match against The Rock and would defeat him in No Way Out to get his title shot at WrestleMania thanks to Shane interfering. But then The Rock would also earn his way back into the match to make it a triple threat match. And then afterwards, it was revealed that, well, also around this time, Stephanie became women's champion. So, power couple was going on. Triple H was running rough shot throughout the company. And then Linda 
revealed that Mick Foley was now the fourth entrant into the match despite retiring after his loss in No Way Out, so they reconned the retirement angle, and it would be a fatal four-way elimination match with a McMahon in every corner. Vince in The Rock's corner, Stephanie in Triple H's corner, Shane in Big Show's corner, and Linda in McFoley's corner, who you kind of forget was ever there in the first place. So finally this match happens. Big Brawl is already starting off fully going after Triple H and The Rock going after Big Show, so still kind of going off their fuse there. Big Show is starting showing his power. He's dominating over everybody individually. He even dropped Mick Foley, who was like on his back trying to rake at his eyes, but then fell backwards, kind of similar to what we saw the year prior at WrestleMania 15. It's kind of like an electric chair drop of sorts, but to the torso. Triple H is flying at Big Show. He's trying to go for the choke slam. Foley kicks Big Show in the nuts to chop, stop the choke slam. And then we see the other three guys doing a three-on-one beatdown on Big Show. Numbers game are catching up. Triple H and Mick Foley go to the outside, and Triple H takes a chair shot to the gut, because again, no disqualification. Then Big Show bounces off the rope. Mick Foley takes a chair, smashes it into Big Show's back, and rock bottom, Big Show's eliminated in less than five minutes. What was the point of that? So now we're down to three. Foley, Rock, and Triple H, Triple Threat, two more falls to go. So the Rock and McFoley are refusing to work with Triple H, who's trying to coerce both of them to fight the other guy. So instead, the Rock and Sock Connection are working to tear down the WWF champion. Triple H, ugh, he's taking a lot of offense. He's getting held back by McFoley, and the Rock tries to go for the ring belt to Triple H. Triple H ducks, and McFoley eats it to the face. Mick Foley, he's looting around at ringside. He finds his barbed wire 2x4. He's going after Triple H in the ring, but Triple H ducks a shot in the corner and gets a low blow on Mick Foley. It's like, holy crap, how many low blows are on this show? Is this a WCW event all of a sudden we see later that year? And then Triple H grabs a 2x4, smashes into Foley's gut. He's trying to go for more offense. Uh, eventually, Foley makes his own comeback, hits a double-arm DDT onto Triple H, gets Mr. Sacco on there, but then he releases Mr. Sacco as Triple as The Rock gets in the ring, grabs the WWF Championship, and smashes Triple H in the face. Then The Rock's ready for a people's elbow, but then McFoley decides, oh yeah, every man for himself, and gets Mr. Sacco onto Triple onto The Rock. Yeah. So he every man for himself. Then with the uh, Mr. Sacco on on The Rock, Triple H quickly wakes up and gets a double elbow on both of his other opponents. How many people need to get hit in the dick in one night? Holy crap. So Vince, he casually slides in a chair as the match is going on a little bit later. And Mick gets a double arms EDT on The Rock. Gets a very close near fall. Then Mick tries running at The Rock, who's in the corner with a chair. The Rock boots it back into his face and drops him with the DDT. And Triple H breaks up the pinfall after this. I mean, it's like it's like that moment that you hear from Botchmania where it's like, What the fuck? It's elimination. Thank you. But they try covering up on commentary saying that Triple H wants to be the one to eliminate Mick Foley. So it's like, okay, that makes more sense. Foley and Rock then start teaming up, or sorry, Foley and Triple H start being teaming up to beat up on The Rock. And then they're brawling on the outside. Foley gets sent to the, the steel steps, but then he quickly recovers, grabs the steel steps, and smashes The Rock in the face, who is trying to choke out Triple H with cables. So then they're tearing apart the Spanish announce table. The Rock is laid out on there, and Mick Foley dies off the second turnbuckle rather than the top. Tries to go for an elbow drop, but he misses a little bit and wins himself by smashing his sternum into the edge of the table. Takes him out of there for a little bit, and Triple H has to improvise by jumping off the barricade and hitting an elbow drop to The Rock to slowly break the table. I mean, it's not the first time we've seen that. I think we also saw that either WrestleMania the year prior or... Maybe even backlash between Stone Cold and The Rock. I do remember something similar to that. Foley and Triple H get back in the ring. 
pedigree to Mick Foley, near fall. Triple H drives the chair, boom, smash upside Foley's head, another pedigree, this time on the chair, and Foley's eliminated. So Foley's out of the ring, he's the second man out, raises his arm, crowd's giving him a standing ovation, and Foley is going up the aisleway, but then he can see on that Titantron that Triple H is taunting him, so Foley turns around, grabs barbed wire 2x4 to that ringside, and smashes it in Triple H's face, but no blood. Kind of contradiction what we saw in No Way Out. And then The Rock covers Triple H, near fall. So the action is going around in the entrance area. The Rock suplexes Triple H on the floor. They're brawling all over the place, going back to ringside. And Triple H is about to get hit in the face with the steel steps by The Rock, but he counters it with a steel chair shot. So The Rock gets laid on the floor, steel steps around him, and then Triple H grabs the chair and just repeatedly smashing the chair onto the steel steps onto The Rock, which I believe they also did with Mick Foley the month prior No Way Out as well. So... Some repeats of spots, and Triple H also hit the pile driver on the rock on the base of the steel steps that are still around the ring post. I mean, I know we wouldn't see that again for a WrestleMania 12 23, but that's a pretty, pretty insane spot. And then, unfortunately, a few months later, no more pile drivers in the company because they're banned, damn it. So they're back in the ring, offense is still going on. The Rock starts fighting back. Triple H tries, or the Rock tries going for a pedigree, or the Rock bottom. Triple H stops it. So then Triple H tries going for the pedigree, but The Rock stops it by reversing into a back body drop over the top rope to the outside. More brawling in the ring, or sorry, a ring throughout the crowd and everything. The brawling goes over to the commentary team, and The Rock suplexes Triple H through the main commentary table, which the crowd kind of reacted for, but it's like once fully got eliminated, it kind of lowered the crowd a little bit. Triple H tries attacking Vince at ringside, but Triple H gets thrown at the ring post, and then Shane comes sneaking back to ringside and attacks his dad and even smashes him in the face with a monitor. But then Vince is coming back. He's got blood tripling down his forehead. He starts attacking his son, and then low blows his own son there. Or, sorry, Shane low blows his own dad there. And then Vince eats a chair shot to the head. So again, more dick shots. Then we finally see the Stooges come back. They're helping Vince up to the entranceway, and we don't see Vince again for another couple minutes. Then finally, in-ring action continues. I mean, it feels like what we saw for Vince and Shane for WrestleMania 17, where the action stops because other stuff's going on first before we continue. Triple H gets that face buster to the rock on his knee and then hits the rock in the face with a barbed wire 2x4, which again, we don't see anybody getting busted open for yet. Shane gets in the ring with the chair. He's about ready to smash the rock, but then Triple H gets dropped catapulted into Shane, who bounces out of the corner there, and then Triple H gets, eats the rock bottom after the rock gets up, and we finally get to the, the conclusion of the match. Shane is about ready to swing the chair. Vince runs back in the into the ring. Low blows his son! I mean, God, you take a shot for every dick shot in this whole pay-per-view and everything, you're gonna get blackout drunk, and then punches his son out of the ring. Vince grabs a chair, looks like he's about to hit Triple H, but instead, bing, hits the rock. One, two, Kick out by The Rock, Vince is pissed off, another chair shot to The Rock, and Triple H gets the pin. I mean, don't feel bad, Rock, that's not the only time you lost a WWF title match due to a chair shot. I mean, we saw it at least a couple other times. Post-match, Vince has made amends with his daughter, hugging her amidst the garbage being thrown in the ring. Boo, like, drinks and popcorn containers and all that. The Rock sprints back to the ring, Rock bottom on Shane, and on Vince... Eats a slap by Stephanie, who then gets a rock bottom on herself as well, and then, boom, people's elbow to Stephanie to send the crowd home happy. I mean, this match lasted 38 minutes. Holy crap. But, I mean, it was a solid match at best. At best. I mean, yeah, there was a bit too much focus on stuff going on with the McMahons, because McMahon in every corner. 
But again, this match went too long. 38 minutes for a Fatal 4-Way Elimination match. Big Show's elimination happened way too early. And Mick Foley's elimination kind of took the crowd out of the action for most of the rest of the match, barely even reacting anymore. The crowd just throwing garbage in the ring after the final bell is pretty fitting for Vince's heel turn, which you kind of saw foreshadowing based on Vince's earlier promo. But, I mean, it was nice to have a change because finally the last match ever for WrestleMania showed a heel walking out the victor. I mean, we almost saw it at WrestleMania 9, but of course, oh, that doesn't work for me, brother. The crowd's got to go home happy with the fiasco for Yokozuna and Brett. Now, we wouldn't see a heel walk out the main event as winner as for the championship or anything like that until WrestleMania 27 with Miz and Cena. But, I mean, this match could have done away with some things in terms of the overall build and the match itself. Like, let's focus on the McMahons. Let's chaos in terms of who's going to be in the match. And the match could have just been shortened up. I mean... If I did fantasy booking, it would have been different if The Undertaker would have been healthy and at this show. It would have just been Triple H Rock. He could have done Vince's heel turn still and then built things up the way they were for Backlash. But you could have done without Big Show and Mick Foley. I mean, maybe I'll do a later episode about fantasy booking for The Undertaker for this show and his build and all that stuff. But, like I said, they could have done away with some things for this show. but And even the main event. But overall... This show just felt very lackluster. I mean, way too many people thrown onto one show. And a lot of people were making the WrestleMania debuts. But some of these matches were just thrown in there. Like, China and Too Cool against the Radicals, which was never announced in the first place. The opening tag match of Godfather and D'Lo Brown against uh, Bobby Kane and Boss, Big Boss Man. TNA versus Head Cheese. Were, it's like, WrestleMania should not be a place where you have impromptu matches happen. It's the biggest show of the year. And a lot of the matches were just poor. Because like I said, the opening tag match was just felt like it had no place. The Hardcore Battle Royal was fun. And it worked for because of how the Hardcore division was at the time. The Head Cheese TNA tag match, nobody cared for. The tag team ladder match was absolutely phenomenal. The rare high point of the show. And the best match of the night, 5 Star Classic. The... Cag Terry Reynolds match, the only singles match on the show, was absolutely garbage. Did not need to be on the show in the first place. Uh, the six-person tag match afterwards, the intergender tag, it was fine. I mean, it kept the storyline going and everything like that. The triple threat championship match between Benoit, Jericho, and Kurt Angle, I feel was still great. The second match match of the night, hidden gem of a match. And like I said, it would have been nice to see a rematch between these three men a year or two later when Angle is more in the full, like, in terms of his abilities and was more confident in himself. The f other tag match that you saw after this, too short, just about humiliating people. And the main event, solid at best, but like I said, there are some things that could have been taken out of this match. So, if I had to rate this show on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm gonna have to quote Brett, I hate Goldberg Hart here, and give it a 4 out of 10. Because like I said, this, just too many people thrown into the show, not much quality. He had three watchable matches at the most. But it's just like there were so many things that could have been fixed to make this show work. I mean, you had so many watchable pay-per-views this year. Like, this was a hot year in terms of quality for overall pay-per-views. But this was not one of them. You should never really have a, a time where your next pay-per-view, being Backlash, completely outshines your main top show of the year. I mean, Backlash after this would be a phenomenal show. One of the best pay-per-views ever. And it did far better in terms of quality compared to WrestleMania. Which is kind of a shame. 
But I mean, it's just like, just because, just remember this, folks, just because it's the Attitude Era doesn't mean it gets a pass. And this show is living proof of it. So, that right there, folks. Oh boy, this episode went pretty damn long. Just like the main event. So, let me know in the comment section below, folks. What did you think about WrestleMania 16? Let me know in the comment section below. If you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast, please remember to leave a like. Subscribe to the bell, turn on if you're listening to this on YouTube, or follow if you're listening to this on any other service that this podcast is available on. And I will catch you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Like, comment, subscribe. Peace out and good day, everybody. God, I need a drink.